So, <clears throat> on those very brief um, statements of the Buddha, like many of them has a lot in it, and this one, Sabe Sankara Anicca Sabe Tamma Anatta. That's it. <laughs> you, all, you all know what that means, don't you? <laughs> well, there's these things called sankara, which you may have heard of, <laughs> and they're transient, impermanent, ephemeral, not substantial, not relating to anything substantial, <clears throat> not coming from anything substantial, not able to make anything substantial. <clears throat> but seeming to create substantiality. And so our practice is really deepening into the full implications of the Sabe Sankara Anicca, whatever it seems to be, whatever it can manifest, it seems to be solid, substantial, psychological, physical, you know, felt, is actually ephemeral, transient, changeable, inconstant. Sabe dhamma anatta. So why didn't he say sabe sankara anatta? What's the difference between sankara and dhamma? So, because there is the unconditioned dhamma, which is not impermanent, which is constant. So, just in that little piece, you have recognition what there is to be realized and released. And that there is, however cautious he want, wants to say this, but there is something constant. Mm. Or there is a constancy, there is a ground, there is a support, there is a refuge. Mm. But it doesn't come into the realm of anything that uh, manifests. <laughs> anything can be seen, witnessed, touched, tasted, conceived of. Because <clears throat> all those come up through the sankara channels. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little, you know, kind of point there, but really, so, well, what does it take to cultivate impermanence, to cultivate the perception of impermanence? What does it take, you know? Well, it grows, it develops, it? you know? So it takes a little bit to you know, really bear in mind and stay with the sense that you know, this car I just bought is going to be a rust bucket in five years' time. Mm-hmm. You know, or a thing that's so attractive at this particular moment in terms of material goods or clothes or something other. Well, you know, that particular impression is very fleeting. Or does it take to be able to witness a thought arising and passing? It takes a little bit more, doesn't it? A little bit more groundedness. Because <clears throat> as we cultivate impermanence, we're getting closer and closer into what we feel we are. So external things, yeah, we can recognize they change. That's not too big a thing. Getting closer into what we take ourselves to be, it takes a little more... Uh, contemplative skill and contemplative strength to recognize a thought that comes and goes. And that's that. 
without this whole reverberation of proliferation onto one thought after another thought and so on. You're worrying about it or getting snarled up in it. it. Takes a little bit more, doesn't it? And that's really, you know, where our establishment of sati, mindfulness, investigation, these enlightenment factors and the quality of constant energy, attention and application in that direction. But of course this isn't the end of the story. I'm saying Sankara's manifest uh, uh, as what they bring up. They bring up thoughts, they bring up emotions. And, you know, as, as we come into things we're less in control of, like we can have some say over our thoughts. Sometimes not much, but we do have some say over it. We can determine to think something. The less and less control you have over it, the more and more it seems to be oneself, and the more um, embedded that is, the more difficult it is to really get that feeling, oh, this is just something changing. So we come to the emotional level, it takes a little more, doesn't it, to really feel one's emotional patterns as that which arises and passes without locking into it, without proliferating around it, without the fear or the guilt or the regret impacting and then just staying there with all kinds of proliferations and stuff going on around it or trying to damp it down, trying to switch it off. What it takes to really see this is just brought up and changeable and really not self. So as you're getting closer into the more reactive <coughs> levels, then that perception of impermanence takes more skill to do, more deepening to do, more trust to do, to, to really come to that realize, oh well, there's that again, you know, or there it is. When it's time we're not even trying to be that, you know, we're not really trying to change our emotions so much as just lighten up enough to not proliferate around it all, to not do a big heavy guilt trip on our emotional movements or, you know, a tribunal over them. Yeah, this is the, 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 uh, the it's a tremendous. What it takes is a little bit more of that um, samadhi quality, and experience, say, of feeling some rapture, some uplift, where you begin to feel a quality of of steady buoyancy in the heart, which doesn't come from one's something re, re, reactive, but comes from uh, the what the skill of attention, the softening, the gentling of attention. Uh, the steadying of attention, the factors of enlightenment, holding one's attention and moderating it. You get a quality of piti, rapture, which is, and happiness, which is the happiness born of viveka, which I've called unplugging or detachment. You unplug, you know, the guilt program, the hate program, the fear program, the craving program, just at least you know, unplug it doesn't mean it's completely dead, but you can pull the plug on it <laughs> skillfully 
without some kind of, um, you know, big self thing going on about it. So it takes more deepening, and we, you know, to really get that, and then the results, of course, are even more profound. It's good to be able to witness one's thoughts coming and going, but it's even more useful to really feel a flow of emotion arise, move through, subside, and feel, yeah, okay, that's that. So it's just that. So it's not good, it's not bad, it's just that. It's what's called being alive. Jitta. And then what tends to happen with that is the really panicky stuff or the uh, you know, twisted stuff begins to even out. You do feel a little bit, you know, disappointed or, or you know, just that. It becomes much more level. Just because you've created the space around that and you've really begun to dwell upon changeability and constancy <coughs> both around the things we get fired up about and the very quality of being of the emotions themselves as meditators <coughs> you realize you have to keep sort of moving on in that trajectory of of how perception of impermanence is deepened and cultivated and you see what's what's really needed it could be the qualities of loving kindness kindness towards oneself helps to generate that field of allowing you know the emotion to move the quality of goodwill so we move perhaps we deepen from the sense of the witness, which is the cognitive sense, to mindfulness alone, witnessing thoughts. Emotion takes a little bit more than just witnessing. Certainly one witnesses, but also there's some sense of calming or warmness of heart, spaciousness of heart, that allows those, supports the perception of impermanence. You come to even deeper levels of, of how Sankara is formed and we come to views and tendencies, latent tendencies, which tend to be, which come up as our taking positions, our, how we angle or something angles us. So we may note we have a tendency towards feeling or imagining or inferring there's ill will. You know, we have a tendency to see things in a critical way. We we have a something that you know sees the misfortune, sees the and feels irritated by it. Tendency like that, and then we form that around that tendency. Or we have a tendency to compare ourselves with others. So you know, seeing who you can feel better than or worse than. How you're doing, that tendency, conceit it's called, comparing. Tendency to form an opinion. Hmm. To believe, not, you know, to really believe in an opinion, to feel oneself energized and solidifying around an op- op- opinion, a viewpoint. 
even witnessing, you know, becomes a, a viewpoint, doesn't it? You know, someone who's not affected, you can just witness what's going on, and we hold to that. And with any of these um, tendencies, forming a position of some kind, a witness position, or a judgment position, or a comparison position, or a, um, you know, position that sees ill will or hostility, this is very deeply embedded reflex. It doesn't, it's often a kind of pervasive reflex. It becomes almost a a state, a thing we feel ourselves to be moving into. And these are the ones you start to contemplate and what it takes to to witness these also as changeable and not something that can be, can form anything solid, can't form anything really solid, uh, and it can't support itself. They require energy to keep doing it. Sankaras need to be fed. So when we have that, the tendency to all ill will, sometimes you have to, mind has to work at it to find something to feel irritated by. It doesn't take that long if you're good at it, actually. <laughs> if you're living with other humans, it's pretty quick you can get something going. Or comparisons, you know, how to feel worse than somebody else. Again, you've got 30 people, you can look around, okay, see who we are in the pecking order, in Samadhi or whatever. <laughs> Comparing oneself with others. Who's better? Who's worse? Yeah, mm-hmm. or a view, an opinion about Buddhism, about meditation, about world in general, so forth. You know, we get an opinion about viewpoints, and they, they have a kind of solidifying effect, even though they're often quite unpleasant, uncomfortable. And you wonder why does the mind keep doing that? Why does it create things that actually are not pleasing, are abrasive and chafing and, and ruin my relationships with the world <laughs> around me? Why does it keep doing that? <laughs> this is, it's, it's an out of control reflex, a latent tendency. And then if you contemplate, you come to those places where you're taking a stand What's 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 the what's there with that? And often it's um, insecurity. You know, we form up something solid because there's a fundamental sense of need to know who I am, need to know where I stand, need to have a position, need to am I better, am I worse, am I the same, am I different, how am I you know, need that, get something stable and solid. And it so this is the very thing that works against the experience of impermanence. What does it take to be able to not really have a position, not know who you are, not have a comparison, to let the world be as it is at this moment, as it hits you, as it touches you. This is where you come into equanimity as the enlightenment factor. So the fruition of that uh, realization is 
the deep quality of equanimity, upeka. <clears throat> and the how we how that occurs is through the ability to be stable, to have that samadhi quality of firmness and the mind is rich and you feel you have your refuge, you feel the quality of your um, meditative experience is able to stand or feel complete in itself and be able to, so that you, you don't have to hold on. You feel you feel comfortable. You feel you have a refuge place to begin to allow your position taking, your self forming, to dissolve. So peka <clears throat> is not indifference. It means a very uh, profound capacity that becomes more available. We don't have it at first. Um, we don't. You know, it's not. It's not a normal thing. It really is a noble uh, factor. We can have indifference and neutrality. If we don't have deep equanimity, deep equanimity is is really aware, tuned in, resonant with experience, but instead of tightening up into some position, who's right, who's wrong, I'm this, I'm that, there's something wrong with me, or it's his fault, you know, just feeling the dissonance and instead of tightening up, you loosen up, you widen into the field of the enlightenment factors. You widen, you soften into equanimity. Just This is really, and you feel, oh, this is a much healthier refuge than defending and comparing and holding on. It's comfortable. It allows the conventional person to not have to be right all the time, you know, to make mistakes, to get it wrong. Oh, that definitely was wrong, wasn't good. Instead of going to some defensive statement or some imprisonment, guilt imprisonment, just, oh, that wasn't so good, okay. Right. You're looking at it like that. Um, From this point of view, you could take this position, but... On the other hand, you could see it that way. How do you want to play it? You don't have a fixed position. So this really is so helpful. Yeah, the world is called praise blame. Uh, in, in the Buddha Dhamma, the world is called praise blame. <laughs> There's barely a space between the two. The world is called uh, pleasure pain, <laughs> gain loss. <laughs> uh, 
respect, fame, respect, and ignominy. You know, these are the, the four pairs of what make up the world. And we get the hint of that, you know, the one who got left out. Left out, position. Or the one who's uh, failed, didn't didn't get it, didn't do it this time. Bottom of the class, boom. In a sense, forming a selfhood around these uh, positions and really wanting to be successful, uh, you know, not necessarily in a brash way, you know, as meditators, we want to kind of acquire glow, sustained glow, success, nothing too loud or jazzy, just the gentle, suffusive glow of feeling rewarded by our efforts. <laughs> no hitches, no snags, no embarrassing little chalices nipping in and showing up on the screen. Because if they do, it becomes, ah, oh, me, the whole thing is me, isn't it? Me, myself, my mind is now in a good state. I really want it. Mm. You know, equanimity is, the mind is like this. Mm. When things don't arise, they don't arise. When things do arise, they arise. When things arise, they pass. When things don't arise, it's like that. And you stay in that non-arising, when something arises, it's that which has arisen. So really getting that, the thoroughness of this, uh, what this realization, this perception means. Perception of impermanence. And thoroughly cultivating it from the simple external objects. You remember, you recollect, <coughs> you know, all that is mine, one of the most poignant statements in the Dhamma, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will be otherwise, will be separated from me. Oof, you know. That's, uh, and you think, geez, that's true. That's even worse, it's true. (laughs) 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 So, you know, so just even bearing that in mind takes some doing, actually. You're really taking it and doing. But if, you, if you're able to do that, it means you're getting a lot of um, contemplative strength. So also, we, it works like this. As you're able to really thoroughly know that particular thing, quality, mindset is impermanent, the quality of awareness of that is deepening, widening, Coming trackless. But what you notice about it is things don't sting like they used to. You know, it does change the manifest world, but it's not any particular mind state apart from the things just don't stop suffering, which I believe is what it was all about. So just you know, so well that's it. Is it all comes down to that in the end? Again, these extraordinarily cryptic and simple statements that one thinks one gets, you know, in a week or so. 
you know, <clears throat> really seeing how suffering gets kindled, generated. I mean, something we lose our position, we lose our esteem. People don't regard us highly. Gee, people don't recognize all the good I've done. Mm. You know, position comes up, doesn't it? The neglected one comes up. It's really, people didn't recognize it. That's what they did. It's nothing to do with me, really. You know, (laughs) is it whether you're praised or not isn't really it's other people do it (laughs) so that's their thing isn't it if they want to do that or blame it's their thing your thing is is recognizing do you have virtue do you have calm do you that's your thing the rest of it you don't want to make anything out of position out of this is this is work so much of our sense of security and sense of meaningfulness rests upon these bases which are really very rickety. You know, if you're a politician, you don't get voted in, before, you don't even sit down before they start throwing the vitriol at you. <laughs> it's already happening, you know. and. Uh, that's a particularly vicious occupation, but you know. So these just uh, and this can be just the slights that did the somebody forgot one's birthday or something. You know, these feelings of that thing happen. Okay, learning time. Ah, got me there. You got it. Thanks very much for forgetting my birthday. After all the things I've done for you, now I get to see this. Disposition occurring in my mind. <laughs> ah, what's that? You know, who's that? A little bit of metta, softening. And then to feel the, you know, the hunger, the need for affirmation or other people's goodwill to be manifested. And yeah, that may, of course, it's wonderful that it happens. It's beautiful that it happens. It is not guaranteed. Sarah wants to find that feeling of you know, people are not giving you the goodwill. That's their thing. It's up to them, isn't it? Your thing is can you not make a position out of that? Can you not say, ignorant slobs that haven't seen the real me? Or there's something wrong with me. Can you just notice that you know, that hasn't arisen? How are you? Hmm? These are taking positions, and when you do have a position, you know it's a negative position, feeling you know unjustly treated, or feeling you're in charge of everything, the control person in charge, everything's going to rest upon me. If I don't keep things together, the world's going to fall apart. And feel how tight and painful those are those positions, those views and what do they rest on the inability to, to really fully understand and allow uncertainty 
impermanence. Impermanence also means uncertainty. It means the world, you don't know. You don't know the next moment. It's very mutable. It's not under control. How do you live in this world when it's like that, without seizing up, without bricking yourself off? Well, you meditate. You develop the, allow those enlightenment factors, fill up the bits that your self-view can't deal with. And the edge of it is allowing it to be changeable, allowing the good to come and go. Uh, this is the, why well, this, this cultivation of impermanence there, it's not just a small thing, it's a very deep thing. And the Buddha advises when one, one cultivates impermanence, perception of impermanence leads to the realization not self the realization of not self this is nibbana here and now so that we want to find out where that self starts to form realize it is form dependent upon circumstances and conditions upon what other people think or say, what, how we judge ourselves, how we assess ourselves. There is a particular dynamic occurring that forms that. Assessing ourselves, assessing others, assessing how other people sense we are, and you know what we could be or should be, our future, assessing that. There's an activity that generates that self who is bound in space and time and we'll never get out of it. But it is generated, it's conditioned, it's caused. This is our work to, you know, some of these are extremely dense. And you've got to put a lot of patient goodwill into, you know, the damaged self. So you want to really note where it, where how it forms. It is formed. Memories, perceptions, interpretations, assumptions, it's formed. If it's formed, it can also dissolve. What does it take to do that? And then what are the benefits? Equanimity, non-conceiving, freedom from suffering. Mm. 